Okay, if you're still with me, you're still here. Could you grab a Bible if you've got one? Whether it's a physical one or on your phone or tablet and turn to Genesis chapter 50. We have reached today the end of our sermon series on the life of Joseph. This is a big deal. We started this way back in, I think, February. We started in Genesis chapter 37 and we've been following through the, most of this year the life of this man Joseph and we're going to finish it up today in the final chapter of Genesis, the final chapter of Joseph's life. But before we get into that, let me talk about something different. Now, I don't know if you've ever, had the, uh, ever done this, but um, a few years back I went um, with a group of guys from our old church and we went on a high ropes course. I don't know if anyone ever done this, like go ape. That kind of thing. And a high ropes course, you go somewhere, usually in the forest, and they have these big telegraph poles, for want of better terms, uh, that are a long way up, like this, like high as the ceiling up. And they've got little platforms on them. And strung between the platforms are ropes and rope bridges and kind of obstacles. And the whole idea of this, which bear in mind you pay for, is to put yourself up on these platforms, which are scarily high. And I'm, I don't know what you're like, but I'm not great with heights. I'm all right with heights as long as there's lots of secure stuff around me, like walls uh, and windows. But when it's just nothing, I'm a bit like, whoo. So you go, you go there and you, they take money from you. They put a helmet on you and they basically say, up you go. And you start at one end and you basically have to negotiate this course through the forest up however many meters in the air till you get to the other end. And what you've basically got to do is you've got to follow a rope. There's a rope to start with and basically you, you follow the rope to the next platform and over the obstacles and you get all the way around. But what they do to help you, which is obviously good and complies with European safety standards, is they give you a harness and they basically get you, attach you to the rope. So if you did fall, which happened to me once, you're attached to something, so you're not going anywhere. So I was attached to this rope and what happens is we wear this like, like a pair of pants, a sort of harness thing. And they've got these three little ropes come off with carabiners on the end and you click that onto the rope, which basically means you're secure, you're attached to the rope. And of course, if you're me, I grab onto the rope for dear life as you're edging along like this. And then when you, go, you get to the end, you get over your obstacle, you, you do all that. And when you get to the end, you hit like a tree or a lamppost. And then what you've got to do is you've got to take your, you've got to take your little ropes off to go round, to attach again to do it. But what they say to you is don't take all three off at once. Because then you're like, you're free. So you take the you get to the edge like this. So you take the first one off and click it on that side. And take the second one off and click it on that side. And you take the third one and click it. And then you're now secure to the rope. And you carry on doing that. And all the way through it is you've got something to grab onto. That's the thing I caught myself. I said, something to grab onto. If anything goes wrong when I'm trying to climb over a, an obstacle or go along this rope bridge, I've got a rope to grab onto. That if anything, kind of, I feel wobbly, if I'm not sure, I'll grab the rope. And the rope is tight taut so it's solid you've got something to hold on to to regain your balance and if all all goes wrong which happened to me once and I totally lost it lost my balance lost my footing and I fell I didn't fall very far about 12 inches until the rope kicked it kicked in and my I got caught my safety line and I was safe and I was like pulled myself back up and off I went and I had something secure to follow and what we're going to be looking at today is I want you to keep in mind that idea of the rope that we're going to follow something to grab onto because what we're going to look at is the promises of God which have gone from the beginning of our story in fact before our story began all the way through it and as we reach the end, they're still going to be heading on into the future and beyond Joseph's life that we're looking at. So let's, if you've got your Bible, let's read chapter 50 
and then we'll talk about these promises of God that have been running through Joseph's life. Now, we ended last week where Joseph's father, a man named Jacob, had just died. Um, and so this is where the story basically picks up straight away in verse 1. It says, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the, fish, the physicians embalmed Israel. That was another name for Jacob. Forty days were required for it, for it was ha- how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now therefore let me, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household and the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And they went up with him, both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the fleshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And they made mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. That is, it is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him out of the land of Canaan and buried, buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephraim the Hittite to possess as a burying place after he had buried his father. Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants um, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machiah, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. All right, that's the end of the story. The end of the life of Joseph. And if we go back to before we started, there were promises made, starting way back in Genesis chapter 12, to Abraham, who was Joseph's 
father, great-grandfather, then went down through Isaac, through Jacob, and then through Joseph himself. And these, uh, these promises were for land. He said, God said, I'll give you a land, the land you're standing in now. It wasn't Egypt, it was the land of Canaan. He said, I'm going to give you descendants, so very many descendants. You're not going to be able to count them. There's going to be like more than there are stars in the skies. He said, I'm going to bless you, but I'm not just going to bless you. I'm going to bless everyone through you. So you're going to be blessed, but you're then going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And if we look at this, this passage, I want to look at the past, the present, and the future, and how this works out. Let's start with the present. Now, in the present, we have Jacob dying. He died at the end of last week's sermon. And this obviously caused great distress as we pick it up. Joseph's reaction is one of grief at the death of his father. If we reflect back over his life, there's much of Joseph's life where he didn't see his dad. He was away from them. And we know Joseph's dad loved him very much. But he was there at the end. And it was even a fulfillment of the promise we saw back in Genesis 46 where he said, God said, you will close your father's eyes. A kind of pointing towards actually you're going to be there when he dies. You're going to have that relationship with him. And Joseph's there. He was there when he died. He got to close his father's eyes. And then the response is they're obviously going to bury him. And the reaction from the Egyptians is quite a big one. When you look at it, it says they mourn for him. They wept for him for 70 days. That's over two months was this period of mourning for the death of Jacob. They obviously revered him. He was someone well thought of in the land. We've seen previously when Jacob came to speak to Pharaoh, who was the king, it said that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. He said he blessed him twice. Pharaoh held him in high regard. So if the king holds you in high regard, actually the nation itself will. So there was this response from the people of Israel. And Joseph, uh, Jacob's body was embalmed, buried according to Egyptian um, kind of traditions, because he was in Egypt, and they, that they buried him. And after that, they said they were going to go and take him back to where he'd asked to be buried, which is now out of Egypt, into the land of Canaan, where he'd left kind of instructions. I want my body to be buried there. It was the a piece of land that his grandfather, Abraham, had bought. His wife, Leah, was also buried there. Um, and so he wanted to go back and be buried there. And Joseph said, we're going to fulfill these requests. And so he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Can we, I want to fulfill this request. And Pharaoh said, go. And if you read who went, all I could imagine it was like some sort of state. You know, you ever seen a state funeral um, on television? The last, I think, you know, the last proper state funeral was probably when the last monarch died. But they, they go, but people line the streets and there's processions and all sorts of stuff going on. And when you read who goes with, Jehos- uh, with Jacob's body, it's like pretty much everybody. So there must have been a massive crowd making this journey. It's probably taken a few days to travel out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. It says there were chariots there. There was the army was there. There were the elders of um, Egypt with their high-ranking Egyptian officials. There was Joseph, his family, his brothers, all their family. So the only ones they left behind were the animals and the kids. You know, I don't know who was in charge of the animals and the kids when they were gone, but he said they took servants, they just took the whole household. So there was a massive kind of procession taking Joseph, uh, sorry, Jacob's body to be buried. When they got there, they mourned. So there was more mourning, uh, which was normal custom. And it said that the inhabitants of the land watched. The Canaanites were seeing what was going on. They said, what is going on? Where have all these people come from? All these soldiers come from? He said there must have been someone there who was kind of worthy of this, this great mourning. They noticed what they're doing. Maybe they, got, they saw them wearing sackcloth and ashes or crying or just in that sort of, um, sort of a downward sort of tone, how they would have been. It would have been quite a somber affair. And they, they carry out um, their father's wishes. And they return 
Jacob um, to where he had requested into the land of Canaan. Now, why Jacob wanted that? Well, he, he was believing the promises of God. The promises of God to his grandfather, Abraham, was that you will have this land. And Abraham had bought a very small part of it as a burial place. And Jacob was believing these promises, saying, actually, I believe God your promises. I'm not getting buried in Egypt. That's not my home. That's not the place I want to be. That's not the place you said to us. So he said, leaves to his sons. He says, you bury me where God has called us to. And even though he was dead, even though he had passed on, and in one sense it was irrelevant where they were going to put his body, he said, no, I want to go there. I want to, I want to be buried in that, in that place. So they do that, and then they come back, and kind of that chapter's over. Jacob has died. But then it says the brothers, Joseph's brothers, suddenly start to get afraid. Joseph's brother. Now, why are Joseph's brothers bothered? Well, if we cast our mind back over the story, what have Joseph's brothers done to him? Basically, they've been the cause of all his problems. When he was a teenager, they had tried to murder him, which I've, when I was a teenager, I had brothers. I had thoughts like that, but I never acted on them. But they, they tried to murder him, and then they decided the best thing was to sell him into slavery. So they sent him to a foreign country, which is as good as a death sentence. We'll get rid of him. We'll send him into slavery. Forget about him. They go and lie to daddy. Say, by the way, daddy must have been killed by you know, a wild animal. So he's gone. Joseph goes down into Egypt. You follow the story through. He's a, he's a slave. He then gets falsely accused of rape. He ends up in prison. He languishes in prison for years. He eventually comes out of prison and things start to take a positive turn. He ends up being prime minister. If you're not familiar with that story, please go back and read Genesis. Catch some of the sermons on the website and you'll see that story out. And so what the brothers are thinking is, we've kind of made up with Joseph, but daddy's been around. And daddy was head of the family and kind of daddy called the shots. And so if Joseph did want to do something to us, the kind of the threat of daddy was there, just all the disapproval of daddy. So maybe, maybe Joseph has been biding his time and thinking, dad's getting old, I'll just wait. I won't grieve him, so I'll wait for dad to die. And now dad's gone, I'm, in, I'm the powerful man in Egypt, I can just destroy you guys. I can put you in prison, I can execute you, I can do all sorts of things. So the brothers are like, Oh no, is Joseph going to get his revenge? And if you've got brothers, I have two, I know what it's like to lie and wait for revenge. Oh yeah, I know. They do stuff to me and I think, that's fine. You think, just you wait. When you're asleep, I will come for you. Or when you're not, you know, you're not thinking about it. And I've got two sons now and I watch them do it sometimes too. They're kind of, it all goes quiet. I think, We've dealt with that issue. And then something happens and thinking, you've just been lying in wait for revenge. And these brothers naturally think, Joseph is going to do that. And he's got power and authority and he can just come and get us. And so they basically, they send a message to Joseph. And they basically say, look, daddy said, you know, forgive us, kind of make up. Let's, let's get this right. Please remember that. Please remember that. And they basically kind of put themselves at Joseph's mercy. And interesting, if you follow it, they actually admit for the first time in the text their sin. Up till now, they haven't actually written, as it's been written in Genesis, they haven't actually kind of admitted. They might have done it sort of in the making up process, but actually as it's written down in Genesis, they haven't actually admitted what they did, which is basically we tried to kill you 
um, and send you off into slavery. And so they actually admit it here, written down, please forgive the transgressions of your brother. They're basically saying, please forgive us for what we've done. They've got into a place of actually recognizing their sin and they're saying to Joseph, please forgive us. Please don't take out your rightful kind of revenge upon us, which you could do for what we've done. Uh, what they've done was born. They weren't excusing their, anger, um, their, 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 um, their actions. They, they recognize it. They call it transgression, sin. They say, we were wrong. And what, here, here we get the interesting bit. What was Joseph's response? It says in verse, what verse is that? 17. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. doesn't particularly say why. Was he still in mourning for his father? Was it a relief at the fact that his brothers had kind of admitted at last their, their sin? Was it the fact that he was uh, kind of overcome, that they think he was capable of such revenge? They were in such fear that Joseph was going to kind of get them now. Is he crying because it's like, do you know what? I couldn't do such a thing. And the brothers fall on Joseph's mercy. And they're basically saying, please forgive them. And it's interesting, Joseph's response. He doesn't actually say he forgives them. I think that's because he's already forgiven them. He's already dealt with it. We've seen in previous chapters how he's done that. But what he says actually is the response is, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? Basically what he's saying is, He's saying, am I not in the place that God has put me? He's seeing things from God's perspective. He's looking at it and actually saying, where I am right now is where God wanted me all along. And actually he brings reassurance. And what he does is he barks by looking to the past. So we've seen the present. He now goes back and says, look at the past. And we have verse 20. And verse 20 is the key verse of the passage. If you underline verses in the Bible, this is the one you underline. When I was studying this, I underlined verse 20. It says, as for you talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so what Joseph is saying is, I see what's happened in the past and I can interpret it in the light of what God is doing. Joseph has much to be mad about. All the problems he's had, all the things he's gone through, all the pain and suffering he has caused is at the hands of his brothers. They kind of started it. Others were involved as well. But what they did was wrong. What they did was evil. And Baydaju says, I can look to the past and I can see the evil you've done in my life and I can see the negative consequences it's caused. But I can look back from this perspective and say, by the grace of God, I can see that what God was working out was for good. And what God has brought me to this place is actually for good. And Joseph has every kind of right to be a victim in this situation because he was the victim. And often when we're a victim and things happen to us and we've been hurt and wounded, our response is to lash out, to protect ourselves, to either you know, kind of lash out verbally, physically, or just kind of run, remove ourselves and just react to that. And Joseph's saying, I've processed this. And actually I see God working for good in this situation. God has taken something horrendously evil and brought his glory out of there and brought good out of it. And it says, what did it say? It says, God used it for good to save people. Because of Joseph's actions, if we think back to the famine that God said was going to come, he maneuvered Joseph. Joseph had the dream, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream and said, this is how we're going to deal with the famine. And as a result, it says actually he saved not only Egypt, who was struggling for food, but actually all the nations round about. From their point of view, he saved the world. 
He was the savior of the world. God had taken those evil actions and turned it for something wonderful and glorious. And if you read the story of the Bible, you will find again and again and again how God, by his grace, can take the evil actions of man and turn them into something good for his glory. Because God is wonderful and gracious like that. And what's the most kind of the, 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 the sort of the biggest example of that would be the life of Jesus himself. God himself came to earth, lived as a man. What happened towards the end of his life? He was betrayed by a friend, Judas. He was then charged in a kind of trumped up court, falsely charged. He was then sentenced to death for a death, you know, crime he hadn't committed. He was then brutally murdered. All evil acts of evil men. But what happened out the back? God used it for his glory to save many, (laughs) to save the world. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, we can come to know him. We can become Christians. We can be saved through what he's done. And Joseph sees that. He gets God's graces on him and he sees that. He says, actually, what you've done has just led to the good things that God has done. And he actually promises and he reassures him. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you. Joseph is very powerful, very wealthy. Provide for you, for your children. It's going to be okay. He's aware of the promises of God that have been given down to his family and then been put onto his brothers. Remember what we looked at last week in chapter 49. There were the blessings from Jacob, the father, on all the sons, all the brothers. They were carrying on. They were inheriting the promises. If Joseph wiped them all out now, what would be the promises of God? They wouldn't come. And Joseph sees that. He says, actually, we're all inheritors of this promise. God said he would multiply our family. Look at it now. There was one. There's now 12 of us. And actually says we're going to grow and multiply and continue. And then finally we look to the future. Forward looking face and see the promises of God. And it says Joseph got to see his grandchildren, his great grandchildren, the third generation. He lives to an old age. It says 110. But then as he comes to die, he knows he's getting old. And as he comes to die, what does he do? He says he's reminded of the promises of God. There's a land that is ours and it's not Egypt. It's Canaan, it's over there. He says, when I die and when we leave this land, what does he mean by that? He's actually alluding back to a promise earlier in Genesis where God says, you're going to go down into Egypt, you're going to be there for a period of time, but I will bring you out of Egypt and take you to the land that I promised you. So he's saying, I know the promises of God, I'm aware of the promises of God, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die in this. I'm not going to see where we're going to go, but when we leave... As a people, you will take my bones with me. He's thinking about the future. He's got a forward-looking faith on it, even though he thinks, I'm not going to see this in my life. My children might, my grandchildren might, my great-grandchildren beyond that might see it, but I'm going to be planning for it. I'm going to be making preparations. And he leaves very clear instructions. As you go, you take my bones with you. And if you read through the book of Exodus, which comes next, there's a, quick, there's a gap between the end of Genesis and Exodus, about 400 years. And then they, you see Exodus, they leave Egypt and actually they take the body of Joseph with them. So his, his kind of instructions he's been left carry on beyond him. And he looks forward and says, actually, the promises of God are saying we're going in this direction. So I'm going to leave instructions and say, you take my body with me. You do not leave here, me here in Egypt. You take me to where God has called me to. And we've been looking at the whole life of Joseph. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed studying it, preaching it 
kind of seeing what God has done through it. It's been a great series. We've learned about so many different things. It's why we teach through books of the Bible here um, on the whole. We, say, we take whole things because you, you cover everything. You can't hide anything. We've dealt with the problems of pride. We've dealt with family issues. We've dealt with how we deal with forgiveness. We deal with what happens when life goes terribly wrong and it's not how we planned it. We've looked at how God works through difficult circumstances. We've looked at how the Old Testament stories that seem a bit kind of removed from us, linked to the New Testament news of Jesus and then beyond to us, thousands of years later here, how they all apply. We've seen how that all links to God's big story. We've looked at Jesus. We've looked at the gospel and how it all comes together. And I encourage you, if you haven't been kind of following through in Joseph, go back, read it, look at it, learn from the, the life, learn from what God wants to teach us here today as we round this out. Okay, a little bit of application to finish and then we'll spend some time worshipping. I want to look at the past, the present and the future for us. What about you? How do you look at your past? We all have a past, everything that's happened before this morning. <laughs> And for some of you it might be short, for some of you it might be longer. But we all have a past. How do you view it? How do you view the major incidents that happened here? Do you look back and think there are some good ones? Do you look back and think there were some really bad ones? Some difficult things that happen? And I want to challenge you today. If we read that story, um, that verse of Joseph, it's quite a difficult one. How Joseph responded. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And God used it to save a nation particularly. And I wonder when you look back at the things of your life, if you think about the difficult things that happen, and I don't know everyone here, I don't know all the things that have happened in your life, I don't know what's coming to mind right now, but I can tell you this, that by God's grace, he can take what was meant for evil and use it for good. I look back at some of my life and some of the things that have happened, and I can see clear things that have happened where... It was horrible, a difficult situation came up, evil was done uh, in my life, but I can see how by God's grace, he's turned it around and used it for his good and helped shape me to what bring me here. It doesn't excuse what happened in any way, shape or form, and it's, wrong is still wrong and evil is still evil. But I've seen how the grace of God can change life, and it hasn't happened with every situation. There are some that I'm still waiting for and saying, God, how are you going to turn this kind of thing around? But I know he can. I know he's good to that. And I want to challenge you today. Maybe a good exercise for you out of the back of this to reflect over the summer period is to write down some of the things that have happened in your life. Reflect back over them. Think about some of the big things, especially the, the difficult ones, the traumatic things, and actually write them down. And I was thinking about this sort of as I was preparing, thinking these are the things that I feel have happened in my life that I would say were, were negative, bad things. And then next to it, I kind of started thinking, okay, God, what have you done out of that to bring good because the reality is the evil things that brought have been done in my life brought me here to you which is a good thing all right there was a moment where everyone just sat there looking and thinking mm. but and I don't want to trivialize them but God uses it and shapes it there are people I wouldn't have met things I wouldn't have done things I wouldn't have faced if those things hadn't happened and God hadn't managed to turn it around and I don't want to build little things that have happened in your life, but I want to encourage you that God is a faithful God. And God is a good God, and he loves you, and he can take any mess, any situation, and he can turn it around and use it for his glory. I've heard it time and time again, I've read it time and time again, and I've experienced it time and time again. And so I challenge you, things in your past, maybe it's something once you've done that list, maybe you want to grab a friend and just talk them through it and help, help you process, maybe pray with it, 
help see the things that God is doing, talk about them. What about your present? What about what's going on in your life kind of right now? If you think about the life of Joseph, he spent time in prison. <laughs> he spent time as a slave when things were, you could say were not going well. But he also spent time in the palace being you know, kind of pretty much in charge of everything. And everything was going away. He got the girl, he had the kids, he had the money, he had the big house, he had everything. So you've got the good and the not so good right there. And I want to know where are you right now in your, in your um, present do you think you're in prison or do you think you're in the palace? Or maybe you're in a bit of both, depending on what situation you talk about. You know, work might be a bit of a prison, but this thing over here might be going quite well. How do you view that? And my challenge to us out of the story of Joseph today is, are you working at it for God's glory? Because the one thing we can take away from Joseph, well, he knew the promises of God were holding him through like that roped to hold on to. But when he was in prison... When he was a slave, what did we learn from him? He worked at it. He made the best of what he did. And it says, actually, that God's grace was with him. And actually, he, he, he did do well at those things. And even when he, things were going well and he was in the palace, God used him mightily there. And whatever your situation is like, I challenge you to think, how are you working at that for God's glory? Think about what's going on in your life. Maybe that's another exercise you do. Write it down. This is, this is my present. This is what's happening right here, right now in my life. This is what's happening at work. This is what's happening at home. This is what's happening kind of in relationships I'm going through or anything, any other situation you can think of in your life and think, how is God using that for his glory? How is God using me in this situation? How am I, how am I working towards that? Because we've got lots to learn from the life of Joseph. And what about the future? Last thing. My question would be is what is your hope attached to? Because we've seen with Joseph, his father Jacob, their hopes were attached securely to what God was doing. The promises and the plans of the purpose of God. Which was to multiply them as a people, to settle them in the land, to bless them and through them bless the nations of the world. And we see that ultimately worked out in Jesus. My question is, what are you clinging to? What are you holding on to? If you're a Christian here... I hope you're holding on to the promises of God, that he's got a plan. And we're further on than these guys here in the story of Genesis. We know about Jesus. We know he's come. We know he's died. We know he's rose again. We know one day he will come again and bring in that kingdom. My question is, are we building our life and are we living forward looking to that? Or have other things taken our, taken our gaze away? Are we more focused on earthly things, temporal things, rather than eternal realities that we're looking to forge? What is your hope building on? Is it the career? Is it the home? Is it the relationships or the hope of relationships? Children, whatever it is. Or is it the promises of God and what he's said to um, his people? That one day he will return and they will be caught up with him. We will be with him forever. If you're not a believer here, what are you building your hope on? Because I would challenge you, and if you're not a believer here, whatever you're building your hope on will not last. It will ultimately perish and fade. The career will ultimately come to an end. The, the, home, the home, the house, the car, the relationship will ultimately end, even if it's in one of your deaths. It will end and come to kind of nothing in this life. My challenge to you is put your hope on something that lasts, and the only thing that lasts is faith and trust in Christ. So we're going to stand up and I'll finish this band. Do you want to come back and we're going to worship? I want to just pray, give us time to God to maybe speak to you. And then we're going to put our eyes on Jesus and thank him for the future that he has
set for us. Just want to close your eyes. Maybe God's put some stuff on your heart, on your mind when I've been speaking. It might be something to do with that. It might be something else. God's not bound by my sermon. Maybe you just want to bring it to him. Maybe he's doing something with you now. Oh God, we thank you for the life of Joseph. We thank you, Lord, for what you did through him. Lord, thank you what you did with him. Lord, we thank you for your grace upon him that held him through that, Lord. And we thank you for the better Joseph, which is you, Lord Jesus, that you experienced much as his, that he did, that you rejected. You rejected. You died in our place, Lord. You rose again so that many could be saved, Lord. And we stand here today saying thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you that by your grace and by your sovereign power that you can take works of evil in our lives and turn them for good. You can even take things we've done wrong, not just done to us, and turn them round and use them for your glory, Lord. Lord God, and I pray now for each of us here with our histories, our past, all the things in our life, Lord. I thank you that your grace is at work upon us as a people. Lord God, we thank you that you can take difficult things that have happened to us, traumatic things, painful things, evil things, Lord, and you can actually use them for your glory, just like you did with Joseph. Lord, I thank you for testing my own life to do that. Lord, that you've turned around things for your good. And Lord God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come now on us, Lord, and you would reveal that to us, where you've worked when things are hard, how you've turn things round, brought things good which on the surface look terrible Lord Jesus we thank you for that we thank you for how you've led us through difficult times to this place right here now in your present Lord God and I pray you Lord you give us grace to serve you now in the present Lord whatever it is we're doing whatever the traumas we're facing if things are going well over here or going difficult over here God we pray you give us grace to serve you here knowing that your, your promises and your plans stand firm and they'll never fail they're never going to they're going to be a rope that we can hold on to and even when we do stumble and fall we're still attached <laughs> we're still attached Lord God and I thank you for your future Lord I thank you that we have a great glorious hope and future in you Lord Jesus that is certain God we will be with you forever one day Lord God, there will be new heavens and new earth and there will be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears and pain will have gone and you will be with us, Lord, and we will see everything clearly how you are working in difficult situations, Lord. We, are, we thank you that you are a gracious, loving God. And God's people said, Amen.